Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. Well, Chessie yeah. has begun the feast. It's <laughs> it's not good. I mean, she's now. Chessie was a happy dog yesterday in the backyard. She was happy. She she the kids were over. We have and... never seen so many squ- uh, cicadas per square foot as in Dad's backyard, and they just they're hiding in the grass. And she was eating them, just hoovering them as the boys are going. No, Chessie, no, no, Chessie, no. <laughs> and but she didn't throw up. Oh, well, she didn't good. throw up. This probably Not settles yet. her stomach. This yeah. is to counteract all the plastic <laughs> with the frisbees. This is General George Washington, and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. So, for an update, she has not thrown up. She has been eating cicadas, though not as mo- as often as she would like, because I pull her away from that. About five to ten walk. a day. It's hard for me to tell. Like an appetizer? I don't know. Uh, I think it's more like a main course. Ooh. But I don't think it's an all-you-can-eat. I don't think so. She has not thrown up yet. A secondi, um, if you will. A secondi? Don't, yeah. What does that mean? A preemie, yeah. Oh. Just thinking about how uh, we'd do a, a three-course meal, maybe, with Chessie and the cicadas. How we? Most of the things you say, I'm too stupid to understand. It makes me very happy to think that that's the case. Um, I want to just say this. We're going to talk a little bit about golf because Michael and I played together yesterday in a tournament, and I want to talk about that. We, By the way, it was such a beautiful day here yesterday after three or four days of miserable weather. It was a gorgeous day. Turned into a full Sunday. Very clean. Sky. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, there was no humidity. It was really nice to walk around. I had a very good time, and I will get to that. Um, I, I do think that we owe our friend Jim Hughes an explanation, don't you think? So we're do playing, you have, yeah. we are playing, and it's the Memorial Day event. I get, I look down at my phone, a phone which I had lost earlier in the day because I was in charge of the scorecard, and I can't, I, I hate keeping score. Right. It's, it's one thing if you're just trying, you know, keeping score for another person and, and you're marking your own, but I get this text from Jim Hughes, our friend and and. Uh, contributor to the Milwaukee Brewing Company. I know his friends out there will be listening. As a loyal little, I patiently listen to hours of Nats talk, but my brewers waltz into D.C. Waltz, great term there, and sweep Washington. And what do I get? I'll, I'll skip through the next. Come on, man. What, what, what are we doing around here, man? Yeah, so uh, I didn't mention this because it was so awful. Um, and anyone who could get a hold of my back and forth with Chuck Todd over the last five or six days. We'll see how <laughs> awful this is. The Brewers, a pretty good team. They're a pretty good team with good pitching. Pitching very good. They have good pitching, but the Nats, the Nats, they stink right now. They've lost five in a row. They're having a very bad season. They don't score. There's some totally bogus statistic, and, and this is an important concept. You know, there's, there's lies, there's great lies, and there's statistics being the worst of the three. There's a statistic that until last week, the Nats somehow had the highest batting batting average average in the National League. Well, it doesn't mean anything if you don't score runs. Tell me how many runs they got. The amount of people they leave on base is extraordinary. And by the way, many times, in the few occasions when they win, they score a lot of runs in those wins, 8, 10, 12 runs in those wins. And then they go three or four days and they score a total of six runs. And this is what happened with Milwaukee. They didn't get any runs. And not only did they get no runs, but they're starting pitchers who have been good over the course of the year, good to very good sometimes, gave up runs in the first inning. They were down in the first inning with Strasburg, down in the first inning with Corbin, down in the first inning with Scherzer. They lost all of these games. Yesterday, down in the first inning with Ross against... The Braves, they lose all these games. 
They don't tie the score. They may get a run or two and come close, but they lose all these games, game after game after game. And I just I figured people didn't want to hear it anymore. The Brewers were good. They've got players. The Brewers have good players. They are a playoff team most of the time. They know what they're doing, and they beat the Nats soundly. They beat them, you know, beat them long, beat them short. I mean, they did everything that they were supposed to do. And I put a lot of the – there's a lot of people I put the blame on, but I put a lot of the blame on Josh Bell and Kyle Schwarber because they were brought in here to be the three and four hitters, replacing over some period of time – Bryce Harper and Anthony Rendon, and they're not as good. They're not as good as those players. They're not as young, not as fast. They don't take bases. They don't hit. They don't get people in. Their batting, their batting averages are low. Their run production is low. They have not worked out at all, not at all. And then the bullpen is still terrible. And I blame coaches for this. I blame hitting coaches. I blame pitching coaches. When five pitchers in a row give up runs in the first inning or when relievers come in like Suero and Finnegan and give up runs immediately and walk people immediately and put themselves in jeopardy immediately. What is the pitching coach doing? What is he saying to prevent this? So I'm, you know, I've reached that point where I watch and I'm tortured by watching. I'm smiling right now because dad is wearing like an on-field performance curly W <laughs> Nats shirt tucked yeah. in. Yeah. And that's honestly the saddest little monologue I've heard from you in a long time. And this just, it perfectly captures our text messages, the, the messages we share with Chris Eliz, the yeah. that you have going on with Chuck Todd. Uh, your your Schwarber and your Josh Bell points are, are well taken. You're beginning to see them turn into the hitters that we thought they would be with with us, which is, yeah, Josh Bell will give you that two-run homer last night and then have a couple, you know, he will likely strike down the series. And you just look at, you, you look at the ability to string hits together in those lopsided wins where you're, where you're seeing the middle of the order, the Harrisons, the Castros picking up three, four hits in a single game and sort of seeing how that buoys the the average in a way that distorts the reality it does it does and, distort the reality because they're not bringing in it, most of the time when they lose obviously they're scoring fewer runs than the other team but they're scoring like zero one or two right and then you see the pressure that it then puts on the top of the order and what turner's deal deals with when he had such a hot start and then soda where you still see him getting those hits but it seems much more frustrating for him at the plate and much more confrontational with balls and strikes, with pitchers, with hitting hard lineouts. Uh, Scherzer's and- lost his last two games. He's gone 13 innings. He struck out 22 people, and he's given up four earned, and he's lost both games. So, and you, it all comes back to starting pitching. And, and you look at Scherzer, who still is as advertised, but you look at what you had to give up to give Strasburg that contract when you made the, 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 the contract for... Corbin the year earlier to that, and you're dealing with players like a Josh Bell and like a Schwarber, where you're hoping to strike gold and you're trying to make these short-term one year deals. ten million dollar deals. Now the reality is, the reality is, is the division is such with injuries and it with, stinks. It was supposed to be so good, it and, stinks. But you're you're always doing this forecasting where you're not you're not just doing the weekly ten day outlook. You're now looking at the extended forecast and just hoping, oh, maybe by maybe by the All Star break, you're around five hundred. They, they beat the Orioles still, and the Marlins. Everybody beats the Orioles and the Marlins. Yes, when you actually start to break down the series wins and it's it's losing game ones in all these in all these series not really picking up any divisional series wins and always playing from behind it's awful well, so let's do something nice. encouraging yeah so so we, that's our shout out to jim Hughes. but let's let's talk talk about yesterday we played in the memorial day golf tournament at columbia and it's one ball net 
best ball, one ball net. Everybody or getting, gross, but your group tends to only play for net. Which we was play for news net. to me. Yeah, we play for net. Um, so because a lot of us get strokes, I probably get fourteen or fifteen. Courtney Fremming probably gets sixteen strokes. Pete Creeden maybe gets eight or nine, and you get none. Arch didn't play with us. Arch is is out in Asheville, North Carolina, and so we asked Michael to play, and and. Uh, in the words of of um, Steve Delmar, who's a pro at Columbia, he came up to me before and he said, "Your horse, your horse. We're going to put a blanket on him so he's warm. He's ready to go. He's going <laughs> to." And you ended up playing really well. I played just well enough. I had a great practice session, and by that, I mean after the show, I went home to check in on two crying boys who were a disaster, <laughs> and showed up I think 15 minutes before our tea time and got a couple of wedges in. Right. Uh, this is why I hate keeping score because everyone keeps turning to me after the hole and going, "Hey, does uh, does Courtney get a does Courtney get a pop your head about Pete and Tony?" I'm like, I have no clue. I'm not used to I'm not used to dealing with strokes more than on the you know three or four high hand or you know the toughest holes. I know you're likely going to be getting a stroke there. So then you're sitting there, and it affects the way you putt. Because you're you're sitting there going, well, don't worry about gross. We're only worried about net. So try and bang in this, you know. But what was important, what I said to you is, you the, your tasks are to pretty much always you have to par the par threes. Protect on the par threes. Tournaments are lost. These kinds of tournaments are won and lost on the par threes. And we were one under uh, on the par threes on the four par. Which threes. I only really helped on. I helped on four because I made a nice solid par and and right but for that but i actually let you down on 16 i ripped it off the front and made double because i had to take a drop no it's okay because i parred that yeah. and courtney birdied 13 right did she birdie 13 she did. uh and so she got a stroke there and on eight well a lot of everybody we were around the hole so we got three you well you got a three i had a three you had a three two i think you threw that in yeah and so what's so great is everyone's walking off, and for handicap everybody purposes, helped. Yeah, you know, everyone helped, and it's it's great to see the waves over a round of golf to see how people's spirits are lifted by knowing that they helped on the card for a three or four hole stretch. And Pete entered sort of the tunnel vision mode on about twelve. Pete Creeden, yeah. Pete Creeden after he made a great he made a great two putt from the lower half on uh, on number ten, and then he got up and down on eleven as well, and he starts he's he's basically straight out of Caddyshack as he's starting to talk about how the hole's getting bigger and he's all about tunnel vision. And he had a three or four hole stretch who's getting up and down from everywhere, throwing in birdies, but everyone helped. So everyone helps. And, and it was lovely to think about that, that everybody helped. And so for example, I'll show you how this works. The part Columbia is 70. I'm about an 18 to a 20. I shot 91. That's not very good. I'm 21 strokes over par, but I had five pars. And on the holes that I had pars, mostly on four of the holes that I had pars, they were like five for four or four for three. So we gained a stroke. When we were done, we were minus 13. And, and I, you know, I didn't know that we were going to win, and we did not win, but I knew we were going to be in the top five. And, and I felt really good about shop that. credit. Because you get shop credit, which as Ooh. Nigel knows, you only play for two things. Glassware, <laughs> yes. which only the winner gets, or shop, shop credit. credit. Right. And we got shop credit. We ended up finishing now, second. Now, should we take a portion of our shop credit, you know, the, the four of us, and put it into Arch's account, just so he gets some of that shop credit, too, because he's, he's the original member of this team? Emphatically, no. 
Okay. No. What's, and you you, no. you chase after the shop credit, and then you I will do. sit on it for an entire two year years. because two years. you won't want to spend it on anything. Right, two my, years. One of my favorite moments, we are on number three. You are below the hill, so you have about 190 to a back pin, and you hit a beautiful hybrid that I think is going to land into a bunker 20 yards short and be unplayable, like put it in your pocket. Right. It bounces over that and rolls all the way behind the pin, and you just go, oh, I'm t- and I'm comes, take, yeah, I'm taking the four on this. And, and well, you, I got it. Yeah, you great. And so I'm sitting there, and everyone's like, "Oh, what would Arch, Arch would be doing this?" And I'm sitting there, just going, "Didn't see it. Don't want to see That's it." That's what Arch <laughs> says all the time. <laughs> so we had a really good time, um, and I'm really happy. And and you were really good. Everybody was. Everybody did their part. That's the important thing. Like Pete, for example, Pete's a better player than the rest of than Courtney and I. But Pete was able to get pars on the holes where he got strokes. You know, and that's really important. It's when you get them. It's when you get them. And so we we played well and your friend all of your friends played well. Yeah, Who won? So, uh, Who won it on gross? On gross, I believe it was Alex Tenhove, Nick Graziano, Colin St. Maxins, and Tim Connolly. Right. So I'm, you know I'm sort of smiling because I am now playing with uh, not just one generation older, uh, but I've just switched. I've moved past the 40s, and I'm playing with your generation. Right. And I'm getting to the point where I had to uh, use the Voltaren cream on, on the knee because for some reason I've developed arthritis, or what I think is arthritis. So we had, we had a lovely time, and I skipped PTI. Um, and in hindsight, I, wanted, I watched PTI when it came on. It was going to be Isola and Wilbon. And I just I knew that the... Naomi Osaka story, which we will get to later in this show, I knew that that was going to be the lead story, and I wanted to see what they both had to say. And it was on ESPN, too, because a baseball game was on ESPN. So part of me smiled to myself, because I ESPN, too. Nobody's watching anyway. So, uh, you know, I thought, okay, I took the right day off. Took the right day off. All right, we will get out of here. Uh, when we come back, Mark Feinstein of MLB.com will join us. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Indochino ad. Nigel, why don't you take over and, and tell the people the suits that you've bought and how you did it and how happy you are with them? Well, when I, the first suit I bought, um, I was going to a wedding and, and the groomsman said, well, you got you to get your suit through this. Um, or the, the, the groom said that. And uh, I thought, oh, what, congratulations, ordering- Nigel. <laughs> yeah. no. Ordering a suit online, this can't work. It can't be any good. I was very skeptical. Um, I measured myself very famously with a yardstick and a piece of rope. And the suit got there very quickly. And it fit me like a glove. It still fits me to this day. It's just fantastic. And more importantly, it looks brilliant. That's why I purchased two more of these suits, because I love them that much. Anytime I wear them, I feel like I'm a million dollars. There's nothing as important in terms of testimonial as people saying, I got this, I liked it so much, I got it again. I mean, that's yeah. that's all you can hope for, and that's Nigel's firsthand testimonial about Indochino. Indochino offers completely custom-fitted suits, shirts, casual wear, and more at surprisingly affordable prices. Every piece is made to your exact measurements, and you can customize every detail. Choose everything about your suit from the fabric, the lapel, the monogram, the statement linings. You can create a suit that fits you and your style perfectly. This is important. You have say over all of it. It's the suit you want is the suit you get. And the best part, Indochino suits start at just $399 with all of those customizations included. Shop for your next best look 
or book a virtual style consultation at Indochino.com. Right now, you can get $50 off any purchase of $399 or more by using the code TONYK at checkout. That's $50 off a purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com. I-N-D-O, Indo, Chino, C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code Tony K. Use the code, people. You're listening, You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is sent to us by Bo Gray, a member of Lexington Field, who writes, Greetings from your favorite fiddle rock band from San Diego, Lexington Field. We've sent you a couple of songs that we hope you'll like. One of our favorites, Tracy Boy's Fight the World. And this is that. And it says, uh, Bo says he'd like to give a shout-out to the Dropkick Murphys, who we play on the show. They've been a huge influence on this band over the years. While we look up to them and they are pioneers in the Celtic punk world, We'd like to remind everyone when it comes to the TK show, they're following in Lexington Field's footsteps. <laughs> this is Tracy Boy's Fight the World, and it plays in Mark Feinsand. And the fact that they are from San Diego will, will change the order on the questions I was going to ask you. And I'll start with San Diego, and I will start with this. Fernando Tatis Jr. The other day, I think it may have been in Houston when he hit that home run down the left field line. Yes, was that Houston where they played? Mark? I believe that's correct. And he stood there, and he stood there, and he just kept standing there. And when it was a home run, he very theatrically flipped the bat and went through an entire Broadway show tune moment and <laughs> ran around the bases pretty much backwards to call attention to himself. I know he's a great player. I also know 15 years ago, the next time he got up, or maybe the team wouldn't wait for him, they would just hit the next guy on San Diego. And the combination of Tatis and Machado would be enough to drive a lot of people nuts. Is this a real concern? As great as he is, does he go over the line? And do you ever expect to see somebody drill him or drill somebody else? I mean, I think there's a chance that he'll get drilled at some point for some of these theatrics that look like they're choreographed by Lin-Manuel they Miranda. Do. Uh, they but do. at the same time, you know, when he did something like this with Trevor Bauer, Trevor Bauer after the game said, I loved it. Good for him. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you may see some turning. Look, MLB had a, a uh, an advertising campaign a couple of years ago with Ken Griffey Jr. at the end saying, let the yep. kids play. And it was all about backflips right. and this and that. I think the league recognizes that kids love this stuff. This is what gets on TikTok. This is what gets on Instagram. This is what gets young people talking about the game. And uh, if that's the case, then, you know, do it up, Fernando, right? Flip as many bats as you want as long as you're getting on SportsCenter highlights and as long as, uh, you know, and at the same time, remember, just 14 years ago, people were all up in arms about Jabba Chamberlain pumping his fist after a strikeout uh, the same way, and now – you know, Trevor Bauer's doing moonwalks off the mound. And, uh, you know, I think, I think in general the attitude towards these things has, uh, has changed a little bit. Uh, but you get the wrong pitcher up there who doesn't like it, and you're going to see him get, take one in the ribs. So this is, yeah, this is what I am getting to. I understand that baseball is officially behind this. I can see on ESPN that the anchors are go crazy about these things and say how great it is. But there has been for over 100 years an unwritten set of rules in baseball. And one of them is don't show up the pitcher. Don't show up the other team quite like that. Who was the catcher? Brian McCann 
Was that the name of the catcher? Yes. Who used to yes. try to punch people in the throat uh, <laughs> when they when they came across home plate if he didn't like their attitudes. There are still people out there like that, and I'm not going to say they're Neanderthal. I'm going to say there's a sizable percentage of people who follow these sorts of rules. So are are we in conflict? Do you think there is conflict? You know, you haven't heard as much about conflict, although you have heard a lot about unwritten rules, right? We've heard a lot yes. about the swinging on 3-0, and Tatis was another one last year who got involved with that. This year it was your mean Mercedes on the White Sox. His uh, own unwritten- manager, his own manager went crazy about it, Tony right. LaRusso. Right, yes. and you know, unwritten rules, I think to most people who are around baseball, are kind of stupid, at this point, mm-hmm. um, you know, the game has changed. It's been a hundred and something years since some of these rules, first unwritten rules, first went into effect. And, you know, the one thing I hear from players more often than anything else when it comes to something like uh, pumping your fist or celebrating or whatever is, okay, then, then don't let me hit that home run next time. Throw a better pitch. Right. Or, you right. know, if, if it's a pitcher through striking him, you know, Jabba once said, you know what, get a base hit off of me and I won't pump my fist. You know, don't strike out. Um, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's all part of the game now. And I think, yes, there will still be some old school folks who won't like it and who will take umbrage with it and, and do something about it. But I think yeah. as you're, as you're going deeper into this, most of these kids who are playing the game now grew up loving these bat flips and loving all of these, uh, celebrations and personal, uh, you know, sort of ways of, of, of expressing themselves. And so I think the old school is, is starting to really fade out. You know, C.C. Sabathia was one of the last real old school guys who, if somebody pimped a home run on him, you were going to get one in the ribs the next time up. Yeah, it's interesting to me because most of the managers and most of the coaches are those guys. Maybe not the players, but most of the managers and the coaches are. And I wonder if a manager or a coach, particularly a coach more than a manager, would say to a pitcher, you know what you have to do next time, Sparky? I, mean, I just wonder if that happens, right? Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if it did, but again, the you know the, a yeah. lot of the pitchers will also say, "I'm going to get suspended if I do that," and we've seen that happen. Um, so I think the attitudes are, are slowly but surely changing a little bit, um, okay. and it just you know it doesn't it doesn't surprise me anymore. You know, when Jose Bautista did that bat flip in the yeah. playoffs six years ago, seven years ago, whatever it was. People were like, "Oh my God, he is going." The next time he faded, and then of course he ended up getting into a fist fight with, uh, yes. uh, you know, with with Ruggie Odor out in second base. So uh, I don't think you're going to see reactions quite like that anymore um, to something because these are becoming more commonplace, and eventually I think they're just going to be an accepted part of the game. Well, I, I mean, I think that Tatis is enormously likable with tremendous star power. I don't feel that way in likability about Machado. Do you know what I mean? I think it's sort of individual. Um, a, a person might not get drilled because they are likable, and another person not likable might. Sure, absolutely. I, but I think that's always been the case, right? There have always yeah. been guys who have rubbed people the wrong way. Um, you know, we talked about the Machado and Tatis thing, I think, last time I was on with you. And, yeah, uh, yeah Tatis is, is, you know, the, the beaming face of baseball at this point. Yep. Machado yep. was the, uh, was the uh, you know, the, the, the guy in the Orioles who a lot of people, A, didn't really know, and B, didn't like. And, um, 
you know, the, he used to go to Boston. He was like public enemy number one up there. Yeah, for Pedroia. Uh, people, thought he was, yeah. people thought he was a dirty player. So, you know, you get that, that reputation early in your career. It's not always easy to shake. And then he went to San Diego, and a lot of people looked at that and said, ah, oh, he just did that because they paid him the most money. He doesn't care about winning. Well, as it turns out, he may get the best <laughs> of both worlds there because uh, the Padres are a pretty darn good team and certainly uh, in position to make some noise this year. Yeah, um, I will sidetrack for a second to the Ozuna story. This is not in a civil court. This is in a criminal court. What do you expect will happen immediately from baseball to the Braves regarding Ozuna? I don't think anything will happen immediately. Uh, I think he's obviously he's on the injured list as it is, so it wasn't like he was going to be in the lineup tomorrow. Uh, anyway, he's out for, I think, six weeks. He broke a couple of fingers. Uh, and then apparently, according to the reports, the cast on his hand was used to, as part of the uh, mm. incident with his wife. So really ugly stuff, Tony. And, and uh, you know, the questions going forward are going to be, how long is he going to be suspended for? Is he going to be convicted and go to jail for a year? Because apparently the police witnessed part of the attack. So in Georgia, once you file a, a, a charges like this, even if the wife decides not to uh, participate in the case and, and, and testify, they're not allowed to drop this, the criminal charges. And you have got police officers as witnesses. So uh, Osuna's in some real trouble here, legally and criminally speaking. Uh, I think what happens in baseball is going to be the least of his concerns at the moment. Uh, the Braves have, you know, signed him to a four-year, $65 million deal before this season. They will probably look into trying to get out of it. Teams have not had a lot of success of getting out of contracts like that. A criminal conviction could change things mm-hmm. um, in mm-hmm. terms of character clause and things like that. But the league will slap him with a huge suspension. I mean, Sam Dyson, the reliever, got a one-year suspension uh, this year, which was the longest domestic violence suspension there had been. Uh, I would expect, based on just what I've read and, and, and what we've read from the police reports and stuff that, that Ozuna will be facing something at least that long, but we'll, uh, we'll have to wait and see how this all plays out. He also could be persona non grata from every other team in baseball. Yeah. Which you know, has happened, say, right? We, yeah, we saw that with Adam him. Russell. We saw that, uh, yeah. you know, now Roberto Ozuna is pitching in Mexico. Um, you know, I think it depends on uh, a lot of these right. uh, details in this, in these allegations are really, really ugly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let me go to last week's sunscreen episode with St. Louis and the pitcher afterward, the, the manager afterwards saying, look, the dirty little secret here is that a lot of cheating is allowed. It's allowed. You're going to hang my guy on this, but it's allowed by a lot of other people, by a lot of other umpires. Is there indeed a uniform policy for for this? Because if you put this sunscreen on the ball, a lot of Hitters say at least the ball is more controllable and we don't mind this, even though the spin rates go up and when the spin rates go up, the strikeouts go up. It seems like a dilemma unless baseball has an absolute uniform policy. I think they need to find a uniform policy. And I, I, this is this is one of those things where it's like, uh, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world, but it's also not great. And, you, you know, until you've got some sort of, uh, of uniform policy in terms of like, okay, well, how much sunscreen? And when you mix the sunscreen with the rosin, what does that do? It creates yeah. this kind of pasty material that, uh, you know, the fact that we've seen spin rates get so out of control in the last few years is not a coincidence. Um, and I think as MLB looks for ways to make the game more exciting, which is basically Theo Epstein's unofficial job there at the commissioner's office right now, uh, you know, having fewer strikeouts is certainly a, a – uh, 
part of that equation, right? I mean, Theo was talking recently about doubles, triples, and stolen bases are the most three most popular plays in the game, according to their market research. And those are the three plays that have gone out of the game as That's much right. as anything in the last 10 years, or so 15 years. And Theo's part of the reason for that, right? He's one of the executives that, that basically started this whole trend. Uh, you know, I think you're, you're not going to be able to completely get rid of uh, pitchers using something, but to even call it a dirty little secret is silly because it's not even a secret. But managers have to call out an umpire and say, hey, can you go check that guy's hat or the ball he's using or whatever. Um, but the managers aren't doing it because they know that there are pitchers on their own team who are doing the same thing. Right. So, uh, you know, controlling the ball is obviously important. Uh, the hit-by-pitch numbers are crazy around the league because you have a lot of guys who throw 98 and aren't quite sure where the ball is going. Um, I recently saw something. Jim Palmer hit 38 batters in his entire career over 3,800 innings or something like that. Uh, and, and now you have guys hitting 30-plus batters a year. That's crazy. Um, I don't think Jim Palmer is the standard by which you should go by, but uh, there has to be a medium in there where you know you don't see Bryce Harper taking fastballs to the face. To the face, yeah. Uh, Dodgers and Yankees, who a lot of people, certainly the Dodgers, but the Dodgers and Yankees, people would look at these teams and they would say, these are the two best teams in baseball. They've been alarmingly streaky. Both teams this year, alarmingly streaky. Do you have an explanation for that? And do you consider them the best teams in baseball? I don't consider the Yankees the best teams in ba- among the best team in baseball. I think they have some, some issues that are going to have to be figured out um, you know, injury issues now with Corey Kluber out and Luke Voigt right. back on the IL. Uh, they've got some, some things to, to hash out before you can really put them there. Um, I don't like looking at run differential early in the season, but uh, a GM told me he doesn't even start looking at uh, run differential till Memorial Day as being any sort of a real factor. Well, guess what? Yesterday is Memorial Day, so we can finally mm-hmm. look at that. The Yankees are plus eight for the year. Uh, that's not great, right? The Dodgers are plus 73 for the year, which I think shows that, uh, you know, their, their struggles have been uh, maybe a little the streakiness you, you mentioned. You know, they've been without Cody Bellinger for quite a while. He's going to be coming back soon. That should be a big help for them. I think the Dodgers are more real than the Yankees now. That said, the Padres are going to be a real test for the Dodgers going forward. And let's not forget the Giants are actually the team in first place right now. So uh, we're, we're two full months into the season, and they don't seem to be going away anytime soon. Uh, and the Yankees have to contend with Tampa Bay, who's just the best team in baseball right now, I think. Uh, they've won 16 out of 17, yeah. um, and they've got 35 wins, which I believe is the most in baseball. So, and no Tampa payroll. Bay, and no yeah. payroll, and, and yeah. you know, I challenge your average baseball fan to name five players on the team, even though they were in the World Series last year. They're a remarkable story with a remarkable front office, uh, some very smart people who figure out a way to do it every year on, uh, you know, one of the bottom five payrolls in the game. Tampa Bay, is, uh, they're, they're, they're an annual marvel to watch, because every year you come in and say, well, this year they let go of Charlie Morton as a free agent, and they traded Blake Snell, so clearly they're going to take a big step back. They were just happy to get to the World Series last year, and here they are on June 1st with the best record in the game. It's really something, because your average baseball fan knows this about Tampa Bay. Kevin Cash yanked Blake Snell too early. That's what he knows. And, and, and yet, here they are without Snell. They are back, you know, in first place. And I, I think they will... I don't think Cash or any of those other people will get enough credit 
because there's no glamour to Tampa Bay. There's no fans in the stands and, and people, and there's, you know, no big money people, right? I mean, they won't get enough credit. Yeah, they never do. Uh, you know, I mean, Eric Neander is one of the, he gets credit inside the game as being one of the best GMs, but, you know, nobody, when, if you ask most baseball fans, they'll give you Brian Cashman, they'll give you Andrew Friedman, they might give you, yeah. you know, Billy Bean, because there was a big movie made about him. Well, uh, but Andrew Friedman started at Tampa, right? I mean, he, yeah. that's where he started, so. Yeah, the Tampa Bay's turnaround was under Andrew Friedman, and when he went to the Dodgers, everybody was really terrified of saying, wow, you're going to take a Tampa Bay approach but have a $200 million payroll, and we've seen the Dodgers <laughs> and what they've been ever since. I mean, Andrew Friedman's right. a very smart guy, uh, and and he you know helped create some very smart guys down in Tampa who have just continued to yeah. follow his plan down there. Uh, and, uh, you know, you look at something like the trade they made a couple of years ago when they traded Chris Archer uh, for Austin Meadows, who's got about a 900 OPS in the big leagues now, and Tyler Glass now, who has a 2.5 ERA and is the ace of that staff, they just they just make good moves under the radar, and they uh, every year they go and they yeah. contend on a sixty million dollar payroll. Yeah, I'll get you out of here on this. It's a personal question. It's about the Nats. It's personal. Um, the last five or six games, uh, the the Nats starters are down, like in the first inning. They're down in the first inning. Relievers come in and they don't know what they're doing, and they walk three people and they give up immediate hits. Um, Swero and Finnegan and Hand was terrible for a while, and you know, and they just, you know, they're just not any good. Rainey was good last night. It, how much of this is coaching? How, how much is not bringing runners across home plate and leaving on so many runners and having pitchers start badly? If I stand up and I say change the coaches, am I being crazy if I say that? I, I think so. I think coaches okay. often get too much credit when things are going well and too much blame when things are going poorly. Uh, you know, a good pitching coach can certainly make an impact in changing deliveries and that kinds of thing. Uh, you know, picking up little tweaks in a guy's mechanics that can, that can make a big deal. But, you know, when you're talking about good pitchers struggling, uh, those pitchers have had success as well, and no one was giving the pitching coach the – uh, you know, the blessing for, for mm-hmm. having mm-hmm. made Steven Strasburg into Steven Strasburg or Patrick Corbin or, or anybody else. So I always think coaches are an easy scapegoat when things are going badly. Um, I think the Nats are just in a in a bad rut with, uh, uh, you know, a bunch of guys who just haven't been able to find consistency. That said, they're in a terrible division this year where they've got one team over 500 uh, and as bad as the Nats have been, they're, what, seven games out of first with four months to play. So uh, if they're able to turn things around, I don't think it's impossible to think that they could. I mean, I remember a team started 19-31 and 31 once and That's then right. won the World Series. So That's right. So they're two games ahead of that pace this year, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, but they lose every single night. <laughs> every night they lose. They lose. I'm just trying to anyway. keep things optimistic for you, Tony. Thank you, Mark. Mark Feinstein, boys and girls. We will talk. Thanks, Mark Feinstein. Uh, we will take a break. When we come back, we're going to do news. Leon and Tori will join us. We'll do some news. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the New Hero ad, and it's new copy, and, and they want to now talk about the fact that this could be the perfect Father's Day gift. 
I've got these, the new Hero IQ Buds 2 Max, the next generation of hearable technology that gives you the power to control and alter your soundscape. I'm a father and I like them, so I'm thinking the father in your life may like them as well. They work, they're attached to my phone. If I tap them, I can hear, I can hear better than I normally hear. Now, I'm old, so I don't hear that well, but they would improve everybody's hearing. Now, do you choose to tap into or out of the cicadas? Because you have that option. I love the cicada noise. I told you this yesterday. I really, I have come to like the din of the cicadas. I don't like when they fly into me, but I've come to like the din. And yes, uh, the new Hera IQ Buds 2 Max give me a much better sound. It, It really, it what does Billy Joel say? The piano sounds like a carnival. That's what happens. You're going to be blown away with the IQ Buds 2 Max. It's no wonder they were selected as one of Time's best inventions in 2020. They're on sale now for Father's Day. They would make the perfect gift for yourself or your father. You know, buy them for yourself. And then if your father wants them, buy them for him too. Go to newhera.com to order today. Let me spell it because it, it's phonetic. It's different. N-U-H-E-A-R-A, newhera.com. One more time, newhera.com to experience the magic of IQ Buds 2 Max. This This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. To rise above the clouds. Once again, this is Lexington Field, as I said before, from San Diego, where they love Fernando Tatis Jr. Bo Gray sent us this music. This is called Dear Sorrow. Michael, if people like Lexington Field want to send their original music in, fiddle rock or something else, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at TonyKornheiserShow.com. And you can listen at the end of the show to all this wonderful music without me babbling. Leon Harris and Tori Clark join us now. We are going to do a news segment. Nigel is in charge of the news. The first story is fairly obvious. Nigel, why don't you introduce it? Yes, thank you, Mr. Tony. Naomi Osaka has withdrawn from the French Open, announcing uh, Monday on social media she's going to take some time away from court. And this is one day after her first round win and also uh, when she was fined and threatened with harsher, harsher sanctions for skipping the mandatory media obligations. So, so said, this is I'll just take over. This is a big deal story. <laughs> um, this is a, a story that goes beyond sports and it's because of the introduction of the notion of mental health which athletes for a hundred years never ever ever talked about and now this is being this is the currency of sports now kevin love talked about it a lot of people talk about it they talk about uh anxiety not just performance anxiety social anxiety we saw this with who's the pitcher for the astros um, who had this at a variety of stops along the way. He won the Cy Young a few a few years back with either the Dodgers or the Royals. I'll come to his name at some point. Um, Nigel, just look up his name. Uh, and and you hear this with Naomi Osaka, and she specifically said, I don't want to do these press conferences. I have a very specific opinion about about this, but I will keep my opinion out of this for a while. Much of the coverage of this has blamed the French Open Leon, Tori, what are your thoughts? This is a young woman, 22-year-old woman. This is not, you know, this is a young, I don't want to use the word girl, but this is a young woman now in a spotlight that, yes, she sought the wins. She sought the, not the acclaim, she sought the wins. This is her career, but she may not have sought all of that which goes with it. Leon, you go first. 
Well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like a lot of the players whose comments I've been reading over, over the last you know, 24 hours. I'm all over the place on this. Um, you know, she should have understood the bargain. You know that that you make when you go into this, that, because it, it's a, it's a real catch twenty two. She's the the anxiety issue she's got. It's it's very real. We now may have a better appreciation for that. You know, after what we've been through with the past year and a half with the pandemic and everything, uh, than we would have had ordinarily. Uh, but at the same time, the, the catch is that if it wasn't for the media, would we care nearly as much about her so, and, and what she's going through? So. I really feel that it's it's a shame because nobody wanted this outcome, and and, and you have to wonder if it didn't have to happen. I hate to say this, but I know a lot of people think that the, that the use of social media by these athletes is the greatest thing in the world because it allows them to, to put their own stories out their own way. They don't they don't necessarily need the media, but this may be a case where the social media, her use of the social media, may have failed her. You know, the, the problem that from my from what I understand it from the officials is that she made the statement that she wasn't going to participate on social media and then didn't talk to anybody, didn't communicate with anyone. And you have to wonder, and from where she stood, she probably didn't feel she needed to. She spoke her piece, and that was it. However, if she had just had a conversation with them afterwards, if they had talked privately, maybe they could have worked away, worked around this somehow, some way, so that this outcome that nobody wanted probably wouldn't have happened. Yeah, I'm not one of those who blames necessarily just the French Open officials. I've seen that on TV, everybody blaming them. I think mm-hmm. it, it works both ways. Naomi Osaka and the people who advise her did not get back to the French Open. I mean, they yeah. just didn't do it. Tori, what do you think? You're, you're a mom. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, the mom's heart breaks for her, right? That's yeah. really, really tough. And we all know people who have suffered with depression. And it's, and it's awful. So your heart breaks for her. You hope that she gets the help and the support that she clearly needs and is crying out for. But you wonder, to Leon's point, you know, there should be governors put on everybody's iPhones, particularly people in the public eye, that they can't tweet something out unless it's been double-checked by someone else. Because who on her team, and you, you guys know these athletes have massive teams around them. Yes, who they on do. her team let her, her put out that statement? Who let her do that, which was nuts in the first place? Um, so my heart breaks for and I do think it is important for these athletes to meet with the media on a regular basis, particularly when they're the top players in these tournaments. And I was struck when it first all started to unravel, the heads of all the four majors all put out a statement together saying, uh-uh, you know, athletes, it is, it is mandatory. They must do this. So I, I'm not really sure why everyone's blaming the French Open. I think they all tried to do what they yeah. thought was best for the sport. So um, the picture I was thinking of is Zach Greinke. I came yeah. up with that mm, myself, right. and he had, he had social anxiety for a long time, uh, and, and I'm sure still does. My question for Naomi Osaka would be, you, you do, you go out on social media, and you are a political activist. Yeah. You went out there, and every yeah. day last year at the U.S. Open, you wore a mask with a different name of someone who had been murdered. Yeah. You, you have a lot of things that you want to say. It seems to me fair for someone to ask you questions about this yeah i mean i don't think that's unreasonable at this point um and if these questions if questions in general make you uneasy okay i get that but there's gonna be a way to maybe not have mass press conferences but to have a couple of designated people ask you what are reasonable questions you have something to say Mm -hmm. this this at the moment, and I think most athletes, most athletes, while they have sympathy for someone's plight, they also say, hey, you know, part of the bargain 
one of the ways we make $55 million last year yeah. is that we talk right. to people, right? But I mean, I, or am I, I just too old no, when so, I say So that. going back to the bargain that she has made with sort of the celebrity and the culture surrounding sports and the accessibility, that bargain did change with the U.S. Open, and you wonder how that has affected her moving forward. And what I find so helpful is actually reading her Instagram post about the, you know, withdrawing from the tournament and, and sort of apologizing to the reporters and recognizing that the conversation should have happened maybe before the the statement of I will not do X, Y, or Z, because yeah. to that point, there is a way to have these, to have the access and to ask those questions, because I think she wants to give you those answers. She just wants to be able to maybe have the, the time to consider her answers fully and maybe... But the outdated the outdated model that they're using is is not necessarily the best way for that. And so I, I I feel terribly for where she's been this week. And I actually look at this saying, you lose this tournament, but then what are you going to gain in terms of, you know, a, a better system for for players and even for media? How are you going to be able to get those richer conversations? Because now you're not just asking, hey, can you take us through why you decided to go to the net in the third set? And and you're talking about much more important issues. But I would tell you, and then I'll get out of this. I made a living in those press conferences. And 95% yeah. of the time, it's, why did you go to the net on that particular play? That, that's what it is. And who are you going to play next? And how do you feel about the next match? 95% yeah, of the time. Yeah. So. And I but hope this one... doesn't turn into a negotiation to change the format of those briefings that they do after they, they play. Because ESPN can always get an interview with the top athletes, right? The big guys yes. can always get the yes. interviews that they want. Little people can't. That's all, all the little people, people have those... is, is that. That's right. Yeah. Right. But I'm, I, I don't I think it's it. fair to change that. Yeah, and I'm, I'm looking at it maybe a little Pollyannish here, but this scrutiny could end up being a good thing. The fact that people paid attention when she was wearing a mask that said Breonna Taylor on it. Yeah. Uh, and she yeah. used that platform for that. Now we're going to have conversations about athletes and mental health that we ordinarily wouldn't have yeah. had. And the fact that this happened at a at you know at one of the majors uh, draws makes it even more important to have this conversation. And maybe people are taking it much more seriously than they would have if this had been some some small tournament, you know, in Indian Hills or something like that. Um, and and that in the long run could end up being a good thing for all the athletes. Yeah, I mean, um, by the way, on on the, the there's a lot of. <sighs> There's a lot of people out there who are extraordinarily sympathetic with the way your life is conducted when you are a, an athlete of great consequence. You can also, particularly in an individual sport, not in a team yeah, sport, but in an individual sport. sport, you can take some time off. <laughs> it's yeah, okay yeah. to take yeah. some time off. It, this well, isn't, you know, I, she, I, I, don't, I don't enjoy, I guess, the conclusion that she's being forced to take time off because the media has hounded her. I don't think that's reasonable. I think this is a combination of a lot of things, including what is internal with her. And maybe taking some time off is a good thing. Or am I wrong on this? Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. Well, yeah, I mean, think about Ash Barty. I mean, we talked about that with Liz Clark yesterday. I mean, yes. she's somebody who's a number one player in the world and has yeah. taken time off to, you know, to be with her family and keep herself centered. So maybe you she see more of that. Years. Yeah. yeah. Well, I will, I will give you another name in a team sports circumstance. The very mysterious and elliptical Kyrie Irving oh, sure. has taken uh -huh. off 20 games. Mm -hmm. You know, he said personal days, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, if they win the title, nobody will care. But... This is the first time I've ever heard of that with athletes. And, and I, 
you know, they're, they are, they have greater skills than we do. They look different than we are. They make more money than we do, but inside, you know, inside they're pretty yeah. much the same. Right. So yeah, anyway. absolutely. And, and again, her having this happen at a slam event and her being the highest paid woman athlete in the world uh, will draw attention to, to that in a way that probably no other event could have. Yeah. All right. What else? To the NBA, Mr. Tony, um, the Washington Wizards stave off elimination, oh, beating the yeah. Philadelphia Yay! 76ers, helped in, in great part with uh, Joel Embiid, who left the game uh, early in the uh, the first quarter, did not return. I think he's going to have an MRI. His uh, status for the next game is uh, in doubt at this point. Also, uh, in, uh, another bizarre moment with fan interaction uh, with players. Fan runs onto the court, jumps yeah. up and slaps the backboard and is immediately tackled by security guards there when he's escorted off uh, you can see him sort of give a, a, a Joe Namath, you know, we're number one or he's number one as he walks off. But just another yeah. incident of fans sort of getting unruly at sporting events as we're let out of the lockdown here in sporting events. I'm pretty old. Um, fans have been doing this for, for 100 years. I mean, you know, this, this, it's not new. It's, it's absolutely not new. It's getting a lot more attention now. It's very dangerous. It's always been dangerous. It just didn't get the sort of attention that it that it's getting now. That guy's a dope, and he should never be <laughs> okay, let but, back in. But what, you know. what about what about this? I I think the the violence that goes along with a lot of these incidents is on the rise. There are definitely yes. more road rage incidents, and there are definitely more crazy, unruly passengers on flights. Oh yes. In the last yes. few months, that is way up. That is way but up. But isn't isn't this is can't you draw a line from the pandemic to this? Don't you think? Well, what is I, it? It's just unreleased, you know, exuberance and energy that's causing people to do this? Yeah, that you, you know, you go sort out of and run around it? the block a few times. Why do you have to pull out a gun on a plane and shoot somebody? I just right. think it's a little extreme. What know. do you think, Leon? Can we go back to the Wizards? The Wizards were great. <laughs> well, the Wizards, yes, the Wizards are great. They're not going to win the next right. game no. unless Embiid <laughs> doesn't play. And then it's 50 oh. 50. Yeah, and, and by the way, I heard Scott Brooks, the, the Wizards coach, after the game, uh, comment about that security guard uh, hitting that guy and said, you know what, I, sh I wish you could teach my guys how to set a pick. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, they had a very good game, and um, but it was it's Embiid not being there, I mean, in, in large part. What about the fan stuff, Leon? I mean, that becomes a news story every single day. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, I had to talk about that dope last night on the on the eleven o'clock newscast. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, again, I keep going back to social media. These guys become social media heroes. Yeah. How much yeah. of a consequence is it really to, to tell this guy you can't come to another Wizards game? Well, the season's over anyway. You know, and, but the grin on his face as he was getting dragged out of there, uh, you know, to me told every told the story. He just wanted to be seen. These guys don't care. They just want to be seen, and they want to be retweeted. They want to be, you know, insta seen on Instagram. Yeah. They just they want to be Instagram famous for like you know five minutes, and that's worth it if they got to pay a fine or if they they get banned from an arena yeah. for for life or whatever. Which, by the way, I don't understand how they can enforce a ban on an arena like that. What's to keep up, you know your your uncle from buying a ticket or your you know your friend from giving you a ticket to get in? What are they going to do? Use like I don't know what the Chinese government face recognition technology to keep you out of an arena? We don't have that here. How the well, what you what you can do is you can put the picture of these people in the security offices and take a chance that somebody on a security team will in fact recognize them and throw them out. But but you can't stop them from walking in unless you do that. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, got another story and then we'll get out of here.
I've got one final story, Mr. Tony. We're going to take you to El Paso, Texas, uh, to the zoo there, where zoo officials found out um, via social media that an unidentified woman had climbed into an enclosure with spider monkeys, and Mm. she is seen on the video smiling, laughing, and feeding a snack to the spider monkeys. That snack was, in fact, Cheetos. Uh, now, I want to read you some flaming quotes from hot Cheetos. Flaming Hot Cheetos. Uh, director of the zoo, Joey Montesano, uh, described the woman as incredibly stupid and lucky. He said, <laughs> it's like someone coming to your house at 3 a.m. in the morning and breaking in. It's not going to be a pleasant reaction you get, said Montesano. I mean, they're animals. He also went on to say that Cheetos could be incredibly harmful. I mean, man, your whole life you eat fruits, nuts, and vegetables, and all of a sudden, here's a Cheeto. What's that going to do to you? Nothing good. Um, And then I've just got to read this last comment for you, you know, because he's just going on and railing and railing about these people don't understand what they're getting into. Because these incidents, again, you see them all the time with people climbing enclosures. Montesano said, they're wild animals. I've been in this business 28 years, and people just don't really understand that these are wild animals. By the way, the woman uh, was employed by a law firm, and she has now been fired from that law firm for this transgression. Well, this is no different than what we were just talking about with fans in the stands. It's no different. It's it's stupid behavior, and she should be prosecuted, by the way. Not yes. enough that pull her tickets from an animal park. She should be prosecuted. You know, if everybody spent a couple of nights in jail for doing this, and it was attached to their permanent record, and they lost mm-hmm. their jobs, that might discourage some people, not all, that might discourage some. Did you ever try Flaming Hot Cheetos? I have not. If you had to rank the Cheetos, where would you put these? Leon Tori? No. Cheese Doodle? Oh, uh, <laughs> top of the list. If you're going to do Cheetos, do the Flaming Hot Cheetos. And I encourage people to go check the video of this because you hear spider monkeys. I mean, people on this show know spider monkeys are real deal. But you think spider monkeys, you think cute little monkeys. These things are not small. They're like yeah. a you know, size of a four-year-old toddler, and they were pissed, man. I don't know if yeah. they were pissed at the Cheetos or at her, but they're yeah, kind of, they're out, making yeah. very chesty moves at her. Yeah. Well, this is the, every, the people climb into the lion's den and get killed, yeah. and their relatives say, well, how, how, what happened? Well, what happened is this guy was an idiot. <laughs> this woman's an idiot. What are you doing? Yeah. Did you By see the, way, the law firm uh, for the press release they had to put out? Tori, how would you like to be the person who worked at the and law firm? <laughs> Who has to put out a press release saying our thoughts and prayers go out to the spider monkeys, uh, Sonny and, Li- and, Li- and Libby? Yes. And we, hope that, we hope that they'll get over this trauma. Because you're, you're going, I've got to write what? Yeah, I would our do thoughts that. and prayers go out to I the spider monkeys? I would defend them. How about going out to the guy that's got to clean up that, the flaming hot spider monkey diarrhea? Yeah. yeah. The thoughts are yeah. to him. Just awful. Thanks, everybody. Send Thank you. Chester Cheetah. Thank you. We really guys, like, these, like these news segments. Good. Leon and Tori, thank you, thank you, thank you. We will take a break. We will have email and a jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Policy Genius ad. Summer begins this month. It begins, yeah, the the official summer is the 21st, I think. You know what that means. It's time to save on life insurance. That way you'll have a bigger budget for summer things like pool floats and hard seltzers. I said this the other day. It's great that hard seltzers are getting some run like this. How about the Topo Chicos? Yeah, between Father's Day, what? Don't worry about it. Okay. Between Father's Day, Flag Day, and National Yo-Yo Day, this month has a lot going on. Thankfully, Policy Genius makes it easy to cross life insurance off your list so you can get back to yo-yoing. 
Policy Genius makes it easy to compare quotes from over a dozen top insurers all in one place. Why compare? Well, you can save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. You could save $1,300 or more per year on life insurance by using Policy Genius to compare policies. The licensed experts at Policy Genius work for you, not the insurance company, so you can trust them to help you navigate every step of the shopping and buying process. Getting started is easy. Head to policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much life insurance coverage you need, and you can compare personalized quotes to find your best price. When you're ready to apply, the Policy Genius team will handle the paperwork and scheduling for free. Policy Genius never sells your information to other companies. Head to policygenius.com to get started right now. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. Jay Covington, Ellerby, North Carolina. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, do you want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad, please? Yes, thank you very much, Mr. Tony. Bethesda Bagels, we love them. You will as well. Just go to your Google machine and type in uh, BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in, and you will be thrilled. I guess that will just about do it for us today. Before the mailbag comes on us, let me just say a one, a two, a one, two, three. No more books and studies. I can stay out light with my buddies. I can do the things I want to do because all my exams are through. I can root for the Yankees from the bleachers. And I don't have to worry about teachers. I'm so glad that school is out. I could sing and shout. I don't know that. What's that from? Is that school is out? School is out, but yeah, Gary U.S. Bonds. Okay, I I never knew the lyrics to that. Oh, okay. Gary U.S. Bonds, that's a long time ago. That's 60 years ago. Thanks to our guests today, Mark Feinstein of MLB.com, Leon Harris, Tori Clark. Tori hosts Chatter on Books. Leon is on NBC News all the time. Thanks to our sponsors as well, New Hira, Indochino, Policy Genius. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Odyssey. If you get the show through iTunes, please leave us a review. We're going to do a show Thursday. Jeannie is going to come over. We hope the show works. <laughs> we hope. We've had some... <laughs> We've had some dicey times lately I'll keep um, the phone with the equipment, ready. but we'll see. Uh, from Sage in Bozeman, Montana. Remember, I, I reached out to Steve Sigourney in Big Sky because that's where the Phil Mickelson match is going to be. Sage in Bozeman, Montana writes, in the event Steve and Big Sky didn't respond or finally gave up listening on to you, I figured I'd fill in some of the gaps on the newest edition of the match. Tom Brady does indeed own a house in Big Sky which is a beautiful resort town about 40 minutes from Bozeman and imports nearly all of its workforce from Bozeman, not that I'm angry. Big Sky and the Yellowstone Club also cause the likes of Justin Timberlake and Bill Gates part-time residents. Sheep wagons, these lodgings are not. These guys will eat and sleep very well. I'm likely getting tickets to the events since I'll never be able to afford playing that particular course, so if Steve doesn't mind, I'd like to throw my hat in the ring to be the official The Match 2021 correspondent for the TK Show. Please let me know how I should invoice my room and board. That's a wonderful email. Absolutely wonderful. I didn't know that people, you know, had all that stuff out there. 
from Nate Perrius in Billings, Montana. You mentioned the next iteration of the match. As one of the fortunate few who have been able to play the course Phil and company will compete on July in July, I can tell you it's must-watch TV. For those unaware, the course is 8,000 yards long from the tips at an elevation of 7,500 feet above sea level and is simply one of the most picturesque locations imaginable for a golf course. And he put in some pictures for us to see. The best part will be the 777-yard par 5 17th where there is a realistic chance DeChambeau could hit a 450-plus yard drive and reach the green in two thanks to the massive downhill slope halfway down the fairway. Phil may be less of a golfer and more of an entrepreneur now, but he couldn't have picked a better location or playing partners for this one. That, that's what happens like in Hawaii where it's 600 yards, the par five, and everybody's on in two because it's just straight downhill. At that elevation, the ball is going to carry further. DeChambeau's drive could be 400 yards, right? Don't you oh, think? Oh, yeah. Oh, you don't be, be chasing it. From John Hallis. Phil will be chasing oh, that he one. he will. John Hallis in Haines too. City, Florida. Your conversation with Doris Burke about Luka Doncic's mom allowing him to play professional basketball at 14 reminded me of one of my favorite stories about my own mother. I was about 12 years old playing hockey at a showcase tournament when I was approached after a game by an assistant coach from Avon Old Farms, one of the best prep ho hockey teams in the country, on the off chance you aren't aware of that fact, I am, and I know that the Norby Williamson family went to Avon Old Farms. He wanted to talk to me and my family about a scholarship to come play hockey at the school. As a kid from ice hockey wasteland of central Florida, this was a dream come true. I rushed with my new hero to find my mom who was beaming with joy and pride at how well I'd played. As I started to explain who the gentleman was and what he wanted to talk about, I saw mom's face turn to stone. Confused, <laughs> I turned to my new coach to help um, me explain how fantastic this was, but he only managed a few words before he was poked in the chest with a rolled up program my mom was holding. She had apparently understood exactly what I was trying to explain and she began to yell, this is not bleeping Russia. Punctuating each word with another poke from the program. You are not stealing my son. My would have been coach faltered under the pressure of this unexpected assault and scampered from the area. Doris was of the opinion that if you love your son and it's what he really wants, you have to say yes. I have every reason to believe my mom loves me very much, but she did not say yes. I never did get to play prep school hockey, but when I played at St. Lawrence University, she made the arduous trip from St. Petersburg, Florida to Canton, New York every time I was starting in goal. That's a great and wonderful email. There's no point in me going on with any others. So if you are out on if you if you're out on your bike tonight, do wear white. This book is devastating. Thank you, Jose Canseco. <laughs>
Through this wall of pain